Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, all night Sunday, Central. Follow me now. Listen, say hi to Kissing. That feels like a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> God, we've known each other almost five years. Four you years. were at uh, you were at my daughter's first birthday party. Uh, yes, I was. So when you say you've been doing stand up for five years, for some reason I keep thinking it's longer because I use that as like the to to gauge how long I've known you, and it's been it's. I mean, obviously, I knew you for a while before my daughter turned one because you were at her birthday. It wasn't like I just met you and then I was like, "Hey, do you, <laughs> do you just randomly want to come to my come? daughter's birthday?" It was. It's it's going to be exactly five years next month, February ninth, two thousand fourteen. Five Bend, years, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, is that what you consider the? That's my. Is that, that your anniversary date? Yep, that's Looney my. Bend? That's my Looney Bin, Tulsa, Oklahoma. The the actual anniversary date when I actually started, when it started. I could use out here, but that'd be a, that'd be bullshit. What, what is it from here? From out here. Oh God! It must have been, it must have been June. Ah man, late May, early June, two thousand fourteen. Okay. So it, right, it, right around the same. Time flies, man. It really does. Gosh, time flies. It when really you're, does. When I would have when you're eating dick on stage. When time I flies. started, if you asked me when I started, if I was where I am now. I would be really happy, but if I knew how far back that was from getting somewhere, I would have quit <laughs> by now. If you'd asked me on day one, like, hey, you could do name any of the things that both you and I have done, I'd be like, holy shit, that's a dream. But then if I said, hey, knowing that you did those things, you still have no idea if you're ever going to make any waves at this at all. I'd go, oh, if I've been doing it five years and still feel that way, I'd probably quit. Well, the thing is you don't realize how much – a lot of things mean nothing or next to nothing, you know, opening for this person or that person. <laughs> like it, it's a great experience and it's a great story, but it's just like, it's just a story. Are they going to, you know, how many people, how many people are actually taking their openers on the road with them? Well, right? they're, that's the thing is they're looking for work too. It's not like they're like, Hey, I got, I'm just handing out opportunities. Yeah, so that's the thing is nobody gets into this to make somebody else famous. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's a hard lesson that you learn is and that you have to figure it out by yourself. And there's no roadmap. There's no nothing. And here, here we go taking the roadmap to negative town, by the way. Yeah, again. I know. Exactly. <laughs> start every episode. Two with, minutes in and we're already with pissed. With jadedness, yeah. What I was telling you anyway was I was talking about it off microphone, but on microphone, one of the books you haven't stolen from me yet. I, I've stolen one book. The Bobby Womack book uh, is was the protege of Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke taught him everything he knew about the music business. Then Sam Cooke was killed, and Sam Cooke's widow kind of, Bobby says, kind of took advantage of him, like like came on to him, and he, and he couldn't say no. He submitted. So he wound up getting with Sam Cooke's wife, and then got caught by Sam Cooke's wife cheating on her with Sam Cooke's Sam Cooke and his wife's daughter. That's but they were brutal. about they were about the same age. So it sounds really bad, but it's like they were both like 19 
and Sam Cooke's wife was like 33 or something like that. Like it was a different. So he was actually closer to the daughter's age? Way closer. Okay. Yeah. I guess that makes more sense. He was like Sam Cooke's wife's beau. The legend has it that he wore one of Sam Cooke's suits to Sam Cooke's funeral. Mm-hmm. And the book just goes on from there, and it is it's wild. Well, He's when I fun. originally seen the book on on your shelf there, I actually thought it was Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that. I think I'm going to steal that book. A Wesley Snipes novel sounds amazing. If right you now. bring back the Malcolm Gladwell book, you can take the Bobby Womack book. Is it's, that Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, yeah, it, I believe it was. Okay, I kind of hate that guy. Well, you've had the book for a year and a half. Have you read it yet? Yeah, I haven't read it out of protest. (laughs) Because I just found out that I hate Malcolm Gladwell. He's actually on a podcast that I listen to pretty frequently. Is it the Bill Simmons podcast? Yeah, and he's just... I knew it. I I had no idea who was on Bill Simmons, but I know if you're quoting a podcast, it's Bill Simmons. It's mostly Bill Simmons. (laughs) It's mostly Bill Simmons. Mostly, but he's just so annoying. Yeah. Like, all his, his sports hot takes are just so... Not up my alley at all. I can't believe Malcolm Gladwell has sports hot takes. I want to say it's him. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I thought that guy was Wesley Snipes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody did, just meshes after a did, while. Did you see what Malcolm Gladwell looks like? Uh, does he have like I think long curly hair? I believe so. Okay. So one of the reasons why I don't like him is because... Don't, don't do it. Because... Don't you get racist. <laughs> he was putting together... <laughs> His best international team on the uh-huh. Bill Simmons podcast. Like, well, if we played Americans versus internationals, and he kept like sneaking non international players in there just so that he can have a better team, which <laughs> just really annoyed me. And he he completely went like broke all the rules that he himself set forth by playing this hypothetical game. Oh my god! So because of that, I just who did he who did he include? Are you sure it just wasn't he didn't have the basketball knowledge to put together an international team? Well, I think he's a huge sports fan. Hmm. But I I want to say like Joel Embiid and like just guys that I guess he he would count. I don't. I have to re-listen to it again. But I I just fast forward through the whole thing. Much (laughs) (laughs) just Just, like I'm sure people hate when I'm on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that guy doesn't know anything. You're always on my podcast, and for two weeks my podcast hasn't been on. Which is funny. I just looked at the numbers. People have been listening to it more. I might have been bombarding people, and they needed time to catch up. Well, I'll give you fucks time to catch yeah, up. Yeah, somebody told me that they were trying to catch up on your podcast. Yeah, well, I'll rest on my laurels for a couple of days and then maybe put this out like Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. Nice. By the way, you're right. We get together now. Uh, it's better at night. Yeah, we do Do we want to talk about how we did this yesterday? And Yeah, we did it Saturday. It was during the daytime? We did it two days ago. It was during the daytime and it felt weird. Yeah, it just feels weird podcasting during the middle of the day. I, I don't know. I think it's like comedy. Like I think it's better at night. Yeah. Or just we did a day gig. Yeah, I don't want to. If the lights out, I want to be. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be podcasting or doing comedy. I there be are like, some fun parts of that though, so I'm gonna chop it. I'm gonna chop up some pieces of it and put it and out. just throw it right in. Mm-hmm. I'm for we, it. We talked about comedy technology and having to be your own everything. Which, by the way, I I'll find a good snippet of that and maybe we'll put these together. I think I, I think I'm gonna go with a different route. I think I'm gonna try a new focus. What's that? I think I'm gonna try. To I think I'm gonna try to bolster the YouTube. I think that's gonna be the big one I'm gonna try for for your for the year. Is that your like year for the year? I'm gonna try it because I've tried to play around with Twitter. I hate it. I told you Twitter's dead, and then got one a year later. <laughs> Twitter's dead. I hate it. I I don't like it. 
I tried Instagram and it's just the it's fun it can be fun but I feel like it's so shallow. I love Instagram. I <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it cuz it's hard to uh hear every like nothing's really opinionated on Instagram like it's just photos. Like I don't have to read four or five paragraphs about what a person thinks about Trump. I can just look their look at their photos, like it or not like it, and move about my day. Yeah, I, so because I, of that, I just feel like it's a great. I don't like it for the for this because it's such a game. It's such a game. Hashtag like for like. Hashtag follow for follow. I'll get followed by somebody, and to be nice, I'll follow them back, and then they unfollow me. Oh, just do they really do that? Yeah, tons of people do that. Like, I, I'm just trying to be nice. So if someone follows me, it costs me nothing to click it. So I go like, yeah, I'll follow you back. And then I check the next day, and I'm like, so it'll be like 150 following, 150 followers. And I'll check the next day, 146 followers, 150 following. I'm like, what's going on? And I look, and these assholes, what they do, if you look at someone's account, and they've got like 11,000 followers, and they're following like 400 people, it's because they'll follow a thousand people in a day and they'll they'll wait until maybe 200 follow them back and then they'll unfollow everybody and just keep running the tally like it's that. It's brutal. And people build a big following that way and then when they do, they try to push it for ad sponsorships. And See, I don't, I don't have it in me to do all that work. I don't either. And, and I, I should, right? Like we, sh- It seems like, but I don't, that's shady. You don't want to get followers like that. Right. And it, but it bothers me to be personally engaged on a platform where that wins. Yeah. I, I totally under, so, I understand where I, you're coming from. I know there's a lot of bullshit on YouTube, but at least I could put content together and put it on there. And if I learn how to use it objectively... I can, and maybe it's a little more democratic than the other ones. The thing with YouTube, though, is you have to learn other skills to even be on YouTube, right? Like you have to learn how to edit video. You have to learn how to take good video. You have to learn about lighting, like which I already know how to edit. I just don't know how to take. How to take is tough. Uh, it's something I'm learning right now, and it's something that I just put up a YouTube video last week. So the first time I've ever put up a YouTube video and posted it on my social media, I put it on my website and it's, it's a, it's a little rough, but it's one of those things where it's like, I I have to put something up. Yeah. And I took a, a clip from a joke that it was the first time I ever told the joke. Right. And posted it, and of course you get feedback like, "Yeah, the joke was okay." And I was like, "Yeah," because I told I I literally put it in the headline. That it's the first telling of the joke. Yeah, and it's it's scary to put stuff out there like that, but you have to learn all the back end stuff. Like I was trying to figure out how to change my username for like thirty minutes, and I'm a person that gets frustrated with that, and I just want things to be how I envision them to be already. And it doesn't happen. So it's like learning all those things. It's It seems like one skill, but it's really like four to five different things you need to learn to be successful in that. By, by the way, did I ever get a good lesson in what, that, what to do with that feedback today? I was going back and forth talking with a comic about doing an upcoming show and he's done all he like he's done the Conan and all the late nights and he's had a, had a couple albums out and done all this stuff. And so just for the hell of it to look at just to see I'm curious to see what people's followings are now just just for the sake to see where certain people shake out and where they don't. So I looked at his 
And then I looked at his Conan set and it had like 250,000 views or something like that. And just for the hell of it, just for the hell of it, I looked at the comments to see like, what does this say? And it was basically just open mic on this guy. Of course. It's people who have never actually done anything just commenting, he looks like something and something had a baby. Uh, His face looks like this. Oh, what's that outfit? Oh, he says, oh, an ah too much in his set. No, he doesn't, by the way, because he scoured. I didn't even I didn't even listen to the set. I was so disgusted, but I know it did. It sounds as good as anything can, because that's the only way anything gets on late night. Yeah, there's yeah, they're not just taking open micers and throwing them on, on late. night. If something's too unpolished for late night for you, you're an asshole. You might not like the comedy, but if it's if you don't think it's polished enough, you're a dickhead. And and some people don't understand that not you can't be 100% polished. No. Because to me if you're like 100% polished, you're just going through the motion, going through the beats. Yeah. It it seems disingenuous and it comes off you can be too polished. Late night sets typically are. Yeah, they're too polished. So I don't know. I I I actually had a comment on mine that was like you said um or then it's like yeah because I didn't write the the joke out like I was literally just kind of going through it on stage but I mean you don't I can't say that on a message but the, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to tell them that but I don't understand why people go to Conan you know all the YouTube things and just you know what that is I I have a theory on what that is and people say that to me sometimes too but that's how I talk I say uh and ah uh, sometimes when I talk and people will say oh you should be mindful. Not to say filler words like uh and um, but my theory on that is that's a general rule for people who don't know how to speak and be engaging. Don't come to me with that shit. Don't come to somebody who's done this for a while on how not to say with your Toastmasters nonsense. Don't teach me how to hold the imaginary ball so that my hands have the right placement. I know how to speak and engage people, so now it's about forgetting forgetting the mechanics and being yourself when you actually be natural yeah exactly right you don't want to be the same carbon copy of every yes if you don't know how to speak in front of someone at all be mindful of what you're saying and be mindful of stammering and doing your ums and ahs and but if you're completely comfortable and know how to convey your message to people then you don't have to worry about you're getting you shouldn't you're getting in your own way by by minding the uhs and ahs because you're thinking you're thinking too much instead of reacting to what's going on in the room. I I I get pretty bad with it. I do have us and the same thing, right? And watching video back, I definitely. I mean, they stand out, but only because I'm watching it as like I'm critiquing it. But right, I don't really notice that. Like, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that you do that. No, it's just somebody who doesn't know what they're <laughs> watching, and they're the ones that are like, "Well, I don't know how to critique this, so I'm just gonna say." Oh, you did. You said uh or the or right. like or whatever the case is. I mean, the, well, there someone, is a point where it becomes like you can definitely tell they're they have crutches on stage. But I wouldn't say that that's something that I've ever picked up from yourself or even most of the comics here locally. Like, I don't think that's a big problem. Anybody who's done it for a while, you won't be. If someone gets up, if someone gets up on stage and they have nothing, and it, or it's their very first time. Yeah, you'll notice it because it's very noticeable. But if someone does something like that in their common practice, you're not going to catch that. But you, I'm just the the comments underneath were just, you could tell 
it's just all these guys who would never give it the shot. No, would never get up and do actually take a stage anywhere. I say this all the time. You just want to grab him and shake him and go, your chair is so much easier than his chair. Where you get to sit is so much easier than where that guy has to sit, and you have no appreciation for that, that you'll never put it on the line. You'll and, never put it on the line. And not only that, from my understanding is when you do a, a late-night show, they kind of like cut through all of your material and re- have you rework it like five minutes before you go up because there are certain things you... I mean, obviously, there are certain TV things you can't say. It's not like you can go up there and cuss, but also... They may change two to three things because they don't like, um, right? Where what 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 kind of, what documentary? I think it was comedian, the documentary co- comedian where Orny Anderson's about to go up, and they said, "We don't want you to say psoriasis or yeah. some word like that." And he had to change a whole part of his joke because of that, and literally seconds before he goes up. So anytime you watch stand up in on late night, like of course it's not. It's not a very great representation of what the person actually does. And for one, I don't think stand-up on late night is a really great representation of stand-up, period. Speaking of guys that got a raw deal, boy, did Orny Adams get a raw deal on that documentary. Yeah, that he, makes that makes uh, him look so bad. They made him look like such a douche on there. And he survived. He made a living out of it, but... Do you think it's really just creative editing? Because, I mean, all those things he did, no, I mean, I there's think, a lot of douchiness in there. Yeah, I think he was probably that guy, but I know two dozen of those guys Yeah, right that's now. the thing. Is like There are, I know quite a bit of them too, and it's like, I mean, just locally, there's, there's, there's some a, of those guys. Yo, there's a dozen of those guys in every town with no measurable success. So, yeah, of course that guy exists, but he was, what, in his early 20s? And not only that, from... From watching that documentary, Orny is just somebody who is never happy with the joke. So yeah. he keeps notes. There's Everybody ha- does things differently. Right. That's not my style. But I know people who are, you have a lot of notes. Like yeah. there's, Andrew Boydston has a lot of notes. There's people who have tons and tons of notes. And as soon as they fix something or say something differently on stage, they physically have to go to their notebook and change it in their notebook. Uh, as opposed to just kind of incorporating the act and kind of just take it forward like that, I, I, I that's not my style, and right. I don't even think that that's your style, so to say. But I think a lot of people, a lot of comics, kind of fall into that where it's like it's not really changed until it's changed in my notebook. Yeah, and I think that to me it kind of helps and hurts. I've got a it's weird. I've got a foot in both worlds right now. I started out heavy preparation. And I'm always I'm always writing on a notepad. <laughs> you good? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you, you poisoned or something? No, no, no. I think I got saliva on my. Stream. Oh, okay. I was like, what was <laughs> um, I I always have, I kind of have a foot in both worlds right now. I started out being heavy on the preparation side, um, but now I kind of I feel it out much more. And when I write down a bit, it usually doesn't come out that way at all by the time I say it. But I still have all these writings, and I don't know. I don't feel comfortable just scrapping the notebooks all together because I think the physical act of writing is very helpful and very kind of therapeutic and makes you feel like you're doing it. And it's just kind of, I don't know. It's, it's a part it, of the process. I, yeah, it's ro- I romanticize it. It's a, it's a romantic act to me. You sit there in the middle of the night writing in a notebook, drinking the iced tea, locked out from the world there's something about that that i really enjoy 
but I don't use it really the way I used to. And also I I have a I don't have organization to it anymore because I'm not married to the book. So I've just got like I've got like six notebooks out right now with like four pages written on them and I don't know where any of the bits are. <laughs> it's just really unorganized. I really you've called me Howard Hughes before. I I really feel like Howard Hughes. Yeah, because I I I feel like if I open up like a shoebox you have, like I'm going to find notes on the inside of the shoebox. <laughs> like just written. Yeah. Like you just went to go buy shoes and thought of this bit and it's just started everywhere. writing it right there. It's everywhere. They're in my car. There's notebooks in that ottoman right there that you're sitting across from. There's notebooks behind us on this uh, dresser, on the uh, bookshelf. There's notebooks on that bookshelf. There's notebooks on the kitchen table, in the book bag, in the cupboards. And then there's just set lists and shit strewn about. And then there's a bunch of texts on my phone to myself, some of which I write in a notebook, some of which I don't. I have a couple files on each of my three computers. Uh, Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you you really are Howard Hughes. See, It's everywhere. I'm like the exact opposite. Like I keep one notebook and in that notebook is just words, like trigger (laughs) words where I can remember what I'm going to say. Yeah. And so if I have a notebook, if I have if I have 50 different words in there, I have 50 different jokes and they right. just trigger something in my memory that I could cuz to me I I romanticize the act of being on stage and like I'll go to the gym and I'll be like on an elliptical or just like just daydreaming, right? And I'm telling that joke like 50 times in my head. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, "Oh, I'm going to do this or I'm going to try to point here or whatever the case is whatever i'm gonna i'm thinking is gonna happen and so by the time i actually hit a stage with that i feel like i've i've done the joke 50 different ways in my head yeah and i really don't get a feel for the material until i actually say it out loud but the the thought the process of actually sitting down writing word for word to me it makes Maybe I'm just lazy, but to me, it, I feel like the number one uh, thing I always go back to is like if I'm watching an exciting NBA basketball game and I have to read a transcript mm-hmm. of the last 20 why'd you, seconds. Why would you specify NBA? Why not WNBA? Because it's <laughs> <laughs> why, not, why not WNBA? You we see, don't want to end up on like a Me Too why, movement. Why like, does it have to be just the NBA? You can't get excited by three or four backboard taps? I've actually been to more WNBA games. Than oh I've been my God, she grabbed the net. Holy shit, top 10 nominee. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, if you read a transcript of the last 20 seconds of an ex- exciting NBA game, it's it to me it's more difficult to give that life like a transcript to, if i were just to ask you hey what happened in the last 20 seconds of you know the 2003 nba finals you're going to give me your your version of it it may not be exactly as a transcript but you're right. going to give me more emotion you're going to give me more how you were feeling like that type of stuff so right. i don't know like i feel like i write in that kind of avenue where i just think of something I'll write down three trigger words, and right. I know where I want to start. I know what the middle – the middle's always the, the more loose end for me because right. I feel like – I mean, of course, every joke has to have a start, middle, and end, but I feel like the middle has to be loose enough to where if you need to extend the joke so that it can go longer because right. you have a really great audience – then you can do that, but also you can strip it away if things aren't going well and just go – beginning 
really quick middle punchline. It kind of sounds like we do a very similar thing. We just have a different way of memorializing it. So like if I get when I get an idea for a bit, I write it talking about it or write it as though I'm talking about it to you or Lexi or my brother Derek. And then I I have all that as a fluid conversation that I'm having kind of at someone. And then I put it to the paper of I don't want to forget any of this of how it how it felt when I said it. Do you have like uh, things pointing out like? Oh God! Kind of just like like a serial killer handwriting. Yeah, of course. Type thing. Yeah, it looks like a ransom. And note. that and to me, like all those things, like all those additional things outside of the actual words, like you should be able to take the meat of what your joke is and just be like, I can do away with all of this if I need to, because right. there's going to be situations where. You only have five minutes and you need to do this whole five minute bit, but you only have two minutes to do it. <laughs> so you have to be able to have leniency in your well, you, in your material. And I feel like if you write, 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 and you're so stuck on if you're going to say the or and or like that right. stuff, like I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice. Well, it's the early, it's the early comic mistake versus the seasoned comic mistake. If you have a five minute bit and you're in the middle of it, but you only have two minutes to finish it, what you, what typically, you, as a new comic, you start doing, you just talk really fast. Yeah, you just go fast. Yeah, you just, I'm going to speed up. But once you get more familiar, you go, okay, this is a five-minute bit. I only have two minutes. What do I take out? That's exactly how you control time on stage, is you don't, you know, when you're looking for the light, when you're trying to gauge how much time you're doing, that's how you control time is what do i take away what do i add in okay i have an extra two minutes nobody ever has an extra two minutes but how you know what you have to make decisions like am i gonna cut this last joke so that i can let this joke breathe or am i just gonna cut this one short so i could do that other joke and it's manipulating time through your own words in a weird way you're trying to and that's where as much as i hate them a a prior comedy competition taught me a lesson which was i i had done a comedy competition at one point and i hate them so just to do it to have no pressure i was like i'm just gonna write a new set it's gonna it's gonna be an open mic set it's gonna be the first time i did it it's not supposed to be good but it just happened to be a thought that when it came to my head it was fully formed almost as its own bit as like it just happened that way and i had two or three days to work on it so it was pretty it was pretty tight when i got it and I started doing it, and like while I'm on stage, I'm like, "This I could take this shit over." And then I got to the end, and I realized as I was on stage, oh, I don't have an ending for this. And you, I, so you you probably did have a punch, but not necessarily an ending. Is it's, that right? It's yeah. So and then I realized if you have a bit, whenever I have a bit or an idea, I get the idea and I talk it through in in my head, and I get all that, and then the next thing I say to myself is. How does this thing end? How does this bit, and if there is no ending, what does it connect to? What? How do you transition it? Right. It, uh, a good exercise, I think, and I, I told one of the local comics this recently, is make a, make a list of, of all your trigger words, mm-hmm. pick five, put them in a hat, and do them in that order. So this way you kind of work in those transitions, so you have kind of an ending for every bit that can go four or five different ways. But right. I feel... Like almost the exact same way where it's like just because you got a punchline doesn't mean you have an ending. Right. And I'll I'll give you an example of this as silly as it sounds. Not that 
we should be critiquing it, but I watched the latest Sebastian Maniscalco stand-up special because my my brother loves Sebastian and my my brother's in-laws loves their he married he married an Italian woman and their big Italian family they love Sebastian really funny as a matter of fact on Christmas Eve we watched his old special together and we all laughed our asses off it was great and so I just watched this new one on Netflix Stay Hungry and I really liked that one too but at least what I thought I noticed was in the last 5 to 10 to 15 minutes he had like three or four or five bits that got rolling and got a laugh, but it. I when my brother asked me what I thought about it, I said, the cl- a lot of the closing bits just didn't seem complete. It seemed like he needed another four months to figure out where those things go. It was still great, but I didn't feel like when I got to the end of those bits, it was the end of those bits. I, I know what you mean because I, I, I've watched stand-up specials like this. You know what I think the problem is? There's too many stand-up specials. Oh yeah, yeah. People are getting too much of them. I mean, I think I mean <laughs> I mean definitely give me one. I was going to say getting too much I was going to say people are not getting enough no, also. <laughs> but but I remember when Showtime had specials and so like it was like Showtime, it was Comedy Central they still and do. HBO, yeah. but those were literally the only places that you can watch stand-up comedy specials. You can watch like uh the little like four minute bits you can watch those kind of like uh shorties watching compilations shorties. Yeah. yeah so they had those but now netflix since stand-up comedy is one is cheap to produce right you just pay the artist a lump sum you get out and you record right so it's it's semi-cheap to produce considering you're not going to be sh- you know shooting a, a series of different things and it's all stuff contained inside of a theater so it's uh, probably not as complex to actually record that. So because of that, there's this huge demand on stand-up comedy. But what's happening is like people are getting Netflix specials that aren't... I don't want to say they're not ready for them. But if you have to do more than two of them within two years, I don't see how that gets done. Right. Bill Burr is a perfect example. And I mean, I'm definitely in a position where I can critique him because why not? <laughs> <laughs> because why not? Yeah. Um, but I felt the same way about his special, where there was two to three bits where it's like, yep. that didn't, he, yep. like the gorilla thing, it's like, uh, you didn't have an ending. It was a great bit, but it was like, where's where's the finality of that? And it's like, you're the you're the greatest in the world. How do you not have an ending and you're putting us on a special? It's too, it's, it's too high volume. Uh, you can't, can you imagine doing an hour special every year like he does? I think he has a Netflix contract for an hour right. special every year. Or if you're incentivized. And it's got to go. And when you're writing F is for Family and you're doing movies and you're doing your tour dates and you're doing your podcast, it's got to it's gotta go, though. Yeah, it, it, you have to. It's going to come from somewhere, right? And yep. it's, I don't know. I just think if you're incentivized to push out content really fast, maybe, the other- you know. The other part I'm curious about, though, is is it could just be as these acts get so much bigger, the art form is so much different. Because when I watch the Kevin Hart new specials, I don't connect to him like I did the old specials. That last Burr one, I, I had a, a similar feeling. The Sebastian one, it could just be because they're playing for 6,000 plus people. And it's a totally different there's certain things you can't do. You can't tag your jokes as fast. You can't go as far into bits. You have to be more physical and less 
in depth maybe i don't know obviously <laughs> i mean i've <laughs> i mean i again i don't want to brag i've played a 2000 seat theater there's 129 people in it but i've played a 2000 seat theater of 129 people so I feel like With I can. With a papered can, room. Yeah, it was a papered, <laughs> a papered 129 people. Jeez, kill me, man. I I think too though. I I think a lot of it is just that success on some level changes you, and so that's gonna bleed into your act. Like I I watched uh, Chris Tucker's stand up special the other day, <laughs> just because like I I genuinely wanted to be like. I know this isn't going to be the Def Jam Chris Tucker because he's not that anymore, right? Like, are you going to be Def Jam Chris Tucker after you've made $20 million? Right. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just don't think that you connect in the same way that right. when you're first starting out and you're kind of undiscovered and you, you know, you're more hot at the time, I guess I should say. I don't know. I just think it's probably tough to manage success and, and actually trying to be a stand-up stand-up i mean kevin hart's doing like 50 60 different things so yeah. it's tough i don't know i i'm only gonna stick to stand-up which is why i only do by the way <laughs> we, went, I can't make we went to videos. go see that movie that he was in that new movie he's fantastic is that the one with uh with the guy from breaking, breaking bad? bad yeah yeah really good really yeah i was really surprised by that and chris tucker is out there crushing it in the clubs right now he came to tulsa when i was living in tulsa and sold out like eight or ten or twelve shows i think I think he walked away with like 40 grand or some shit for well, the weekend well can i tell you i actually put on the special because i wanted to feel better about myself <laughs> i put on the special because i was like i know you know it's this. not going to be the same chris tucker i'm going to put it on and it's going to make me and, feel and good and you can go i'm better than that yeah like i'm better than chris tucker right yep. like I, that's how i wanted to feel but then i put it on and i was like i'm not better than chris tucker oh like, why was he doing well he was i i have like this guilty pleasure of comedy like yeah you chris do. tucker um chris rock and even though, like, I know that they're almost just caricatures of what they once were, like, uh, the tambourine special I watched. You didn't Chris, like that one? No, I really liked it. Okay, I, yeah, felt I liked like, it too. I felt like there was, when when you reach that, that amount of success, like, almost the same thing we just talked about where some things aren't necessarily finalized. I feel like there was pr- maybe 20 minutes of that special where it was just like, eh, that's not, you know, this probably wouldn't have made one of your first specials or yeah. it wasn't it, it wouldn't have made bring the pain yeah like it wasn't it wasn't great like i could have done away with about 20 percent well, of the when, special but when he set the bar so what bigger and blacker that's one of my favorite comedy specials of all time is bigger and blacker well yeah and it is and you watch it and you go not only is this thing hilarious but he's taking swings out here he's taking real swings he's one of my favorite comics and i as much as i Sometimes when I put on like a, a special like his or a special like Chris Tucker, I almost want to like just instinctively shit on it because like, oh, they're just so big and like they're just not connected anymore. And in some ways they are just like we spoke about where it feels a little different. Yeah. But there's like these they're comics like they're they're probably more comic than anything else. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's why you're you. And why I'm me. (laughs) You can see like those, those little things that they do on stage and probably viewing it from, I have to step back and not view it as a comic. Like just viewing, you know, you can, I can watch the same special twice and get two different, um, feel two different ways about it, depending on how I'm watching it, whether I'm watching it as me 
the stand-up comic or me just a person who loves stand-up comedy right and as much as i wanted to the the specials could have been shorter but i just felt like chris rock still made me feel like i was watching bigger and blacker like in windows right and so i was just like man like i wish i don't know it's i I wish i could do that i'll tell you the the cure-all is if you just want to watch and feel good about yourself just put on nick cannon that's does he got. have a special? Oh yeah, he's got a special. Of course he does. I haven't seen the new one. I heard just he... put on Rick Gutierrez. Oh fuck yeah, put on Rick. Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm just a parent. <laughs> <laughs> they and pulled then, that off Netflix. And then Tic Tac Toe the jokes. Did they take it <laughs> yeah, off? Yeah, they took it off Netflix. Oh okay. Okay. And no, no. And because like being, you know, of course, too uh, bad. The the scorned comic that I am, I wanted to see if it was still there, and then I tried finding it to see if I could buy it. Yep. Uh, I wasn't gonna buy it. I just wanted to. I just wanted to make sure he wasn't making money. You were just hoping. <laughs> <laughs> you were just hoping you couldn't buy it. Yeah, I was hoping I couldn't buy it, but I shouldn't be like that. But I am. Fuck I don't it. know why. It's hard not to get like that. I was just, when you mentioned the gym and you have these ideas coming to you. That's what bothers me the most. I used to get all my ideas when I was in the gym. It used to be my release. I would go work out. I'd go sit in the sauna, and my mind would flood with these ideas that I'd text to myself. For the last year to two years, nothing. I get nothing in there. Because it's probably now your escape from this. Yeah, maybe. Like, you know, like you're you're so much stand-up comic that you used to escape to the gym so that you could try to be a stand-up comic or think about being a stand-up comic, and now it's like you just want to isolate yourself from those thoughts probably and not right. think about that. Probably right. Because it's easy to let what we do consume all of your thoughts yeah. ideas are much more exciting when you're moonlighting yeah no kidding no <laughs> than, kidding than when you're really trying to make it a thing yeah because it, it becomes work yeah and i mean it's definitely a labor of love but i think that it's if if you let it it will consume you if right. you can think about how to work workshop your jokes you can think about how you haven't made it you can think about the 50 different things other people have that you haven't gotten yet and it's just it's a rabbit hole that just can easily just defeat you in the middle of the day. <laughs> oh, you wanted, by the way, uh, we talked a little bit about weirdest stories and things that have happened during shows. Uh, after a couple nights to think about it, you said you had some additionals. Yeah, the weirdest thing. that's I think probably by far and away the, the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me on stage or probably the most surreal is... We were running a show, myself and my buddy Chase Brockett were running a show at what was a place called Fish Lips, which was downtown Bakersfield. That's where Doug Stanhope came, right? Yeah, so he was actually, he did the show probably like two weeks before the place closed down. So Doug Stanhope, yeah. so He was on the Shit Town tour. Yeah. (laughs) That's what he called it. Yeah, that is what he called it. Um, So we did a show at Fish Lips and Andrew, who used to run the place... Would all would always be really welcoming to 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 comedians. Yeah, he wanted to make sure that if there was an open mic, that comedians got spots. If we wanted to try to put on a show, he was always more than open to ha- us having shows there. Um, but you also had to prove yourself; like it had to be worthwhile to the establishment for us to be there. But he was going to let us do whatever we wanted. Yeah, he was going to let us book whoever we wanted. We just had to, you know deal with whatever rules that they had or whatever was going on that day or that night, the same time that we booked a comedy show. And so the first time he let us book a comedy show, it was earlier in the day because he wanted to get 
he still wanted to book a band that night. Okay. So he figured, well, if we draw people in for a comedy show, and then at the end of the comedy show, a local band is there. It, not a local band, just a band is there. The comedy people will stay for the band and hopefully pay a cover charge. But then also whoever the band draws in will be there. And so he's hoping that people would want to hang out after the comedy show enough to actually pay a cover to watch this band. And so our show started at like six o'clock. And luckily enough, it was during the time of the year where it actually gets dark at about 630. So the sun was down, so that was fine. And the band that was going up after us, we had about an hour and a half comedy show. So we had to be out by 8 o'clock. And then the band was going to start about 8.30 and then take the night away. Yeah. And, of course, you have to set up, much like we talked about during the Aviators. You have the whole setup and breakdown for the band. And it was a cover band. And they were a cover band for the popular band, No Doubt. Oh, wow. And they called themselves No Duh. (laughs) and so cool yeah so (laughs) i'm on stage and here's the thing i didn't know about no duh the cover i actually liked i i like to think that no doubt is actually a cover band of no (laughs) no duh i don't think that's how it actually works but um i think i'm i'm the i'm featuring for the night and so one person's coming up after me but everybody starts getting there during my set. to Because no does on after you. Because no does coming on after us. Yeah. And the band is setting up behind me already. And so I'm go up there. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm telling jokes. And here's, the, here's where it gets a little bit surreal. Is they have a cult following. Like people travel to watch Fuck. the No Doubt cover band. Right. Not no doubt. Oh, people, no duh. People the love cover, cover band. bands. I, I didn't. Th- I didn't know that was a thing. My brother just went to see a Michael Jackson impersonator. Obviously. Oh, he's actually good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the guy from Vegas? He's actually pretty solid. <laughs> I don't know, man. I saw a video of this guy, and he looked. He, he looked know, and moved. He and looked like right? a. He just looked like a Halloween go. I don't know, man. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't look like Mike to me. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be having fun. They seem to be having fun. And I know live music sounds a lot different than recorded music, so I was giving it that benefit of the doubt. But I'm watching this fucking dude up there spinning around and doing his shit. And on the floor, because my brother's filming it of the concert, is this guy who's dressed like he's got the black dress pants. With a red top. White uh, V-neck top. Tell him it's just him. That one. Yeah, he's yeah. got that one, and he is he is having an episode while the while fake Mike is on stage. He's by himself, pouring sweat, doing like singing all the songs word for word, and doing all the dances and like all the hand motions. And he do that thing where his eyes are closed and he's holding his fucking arm out and like really soaking it. Like he's on he's. He, he is Michael he's Jackson. He's on stage. He, in his mind, people are at the Michael Jackson concert and the him doing the Michael Jackson impersonator. He's impersonating the impersonator. And you could tell that he's like, you know he's in his mind going, oh, people are people are eating this shit up. It's only a matter of time before they ask me to be the Michael Jackson impersonator. 
and uh, my brother said he talked to the to the guy who was actually doing the gig, and he said he was pretty creeped out by the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so the Michael, it takes a lot to probably creep out a Michael Jackson you, impersonator. How do you creep even harder? Then figuring out what tattoo a comedian you get for killing a comedian <laughs> is f- creeping out a Michael Jackson impersonator. Which, by the way, at this time of of, of society, well, could there be a worse thing to impersonate besides R. Kelly than my, Michael Jackson? Well, I think Michael Jackson is so talented that people forget. <laughs> well, like imagine having so much talent that you people just. For forget and forgive. You're, like you like to deal with mind fucks like I do. How about this one for you? I went to get my hair cut uh, at Sport Clips months ago, and the girl who was cutting my hair, her son is like eleven or twelve years old, and she was like, he's really into Michael Jackson, and so I got him. <laughs> like <laughs> he, <laughs> I let me rephrase that. <laughs> he really enjoys he, the stylistics he of Michael re- Jackson. He really likes Michael Jackson's music. And so she got him this box set of, of like all oh, his number one documentary, hits. like videography, all that shit. And I'm in the chair, and I'm I'm talking about it, and being an overthinker, I'm processing this, and I'm going, "Oh my god, what's it like? Do you talk to your kid about what it's like for him? Because he we lived through it. I was like 11 when the they scoped my penis. Yeah. I like I was we were kids for that. So we're like, whoa, why is this? I just remember Mike being on TV talking about them looking at his penis. So, but he didn't live through any of that. This is just a kid who gets the entire anthology from day one doing ABC one, two, three to doing that. Don't stop till you get enough where he kind of looks in between to being a strange looking white dude to being a Halloween figure to dead. And we're all sad. And we all pretend he's somewhere in between. Don't and stop the Chris till Tucker you get video. enough in Thriller and all that shit. <laughs> and the Chris Tucker video. And the Chris yeah. Tucker video. So I'm like, and what a weird time to grow up. The things, the things that we looked at as creepy and crazy are totally normal and accepted now. And the things that we kind of brushed over, like we looked at, oh, you're bleaching your skin, getting a ton of plastic surgery and somewhat uh, androgynous about your sexuality. In the 90s, we're like, freak. But the whole jerking off kids thing, we're like, ah, he said he, didn't, he said he didn't do it. He made Thriller. I don't believe those kids. <laughs> <laughs> but now... It's the it's the exact opposite where... Being androgynous, plastic surgery... It's cool. Skin bleaching, like fucking Neymar skin bleaching, Sammy Socha skin bleaching, every pop star skin bleaching. It's just a thing now. It's just a thing now. Sexual fluidity is just a thing now. But hey pumping kids or sexually abusing people we finally got that one right well i just think if you consume things like that think about what his career was what is it like a 30 year career 40 year career yeah and think about binging a whole a whole career 40 years worth of content (laughs) yeah and of course like it's just consumed differently so maybe you're not as you're not as uh hard on the artist so to say because because yeah, we lived it for two years it's, yeah, a, it's a footnote for because the, between thriller and the next album there's like two years <laughs> we needed something to talk about right. but if you just consume it like through an anthology and you only know michael jackson through that particular prism then it's probably i, I could see how a kid would like that because it's like 
his music is really catchy and like all right he did some pretty questionable stuff but even then it's kind of like some people think he did some people but as a kid you just don't you know you just want to dance yeah (laughs) (laughs) mike knew that too (laughs) can you imagine in the twitter generation where everyone's a critic and an asshole how much Mike would have gotten hammered for that Super Bowl performance where he popped out of the bottom of the stage and just sat there for like a minute and 40 seconds without before he did anything? You remember that? No, I don't remember that. Oh, you don't remember that? But pops out from the bottom of the stage and it's like it's like 90 seconds and he just like the crowd's going crazy and he just stands there. Oh, like stone still? Stone still for two minutes. You don't get that kind of time now no matter who you are. Yeah. You fucking Fergie with the national anthem. All she did was try to sing, and it was weird. She got destroyed. Well, it's because everything is so real time now. That'll teach you for trying to do something. Yeah, like don't try to be artistic. Yeah. But I just think, I don't know. You know that he's actually the reason why Robert Kraft owns the Patriots? (laughs) Who who is? Michael Jackson. (laughs) Did you know that? No. Yeah, Michael Michael Jackson saved the Patriots from being moved from New England to either Hartford or St. Louis. When was this? This was early 90s. So whomever owned the Patriots, yeah. Uh their big investment during the early 90s, yeah, was to fund promote Michael Jackson's tour. Oh. And they put out all the tour dates, they finalized everything, and then what happened was Michael Jackson's show was so elaborate and so expensive. Like the actual performance, he wanted 400 dancers. He wanted pyro. He wanted all these different things that even with every seat sold out, he was losing millions and millions of dollars on every show. And that put him in a position where he had to sell the Patriots franchise and then Robert Kraft bought it. So if it wasn't for that tour... Whomever owned the Patriots before would still own them. Wow. But Michael Jackson bankrupt them. God damn, Michael Jackson. Yeah. Just another Good to, a the little reason, FYI. The reason that's a great great knowledge bomb right there. Yeah, I'm but full the, of the reason we <laughs> I'm have full of nonsense. The reason we have to deal with the Patriots dynasty is because of Michael Jackson. because Jack, Michael Jackson. Which yeah. is the real tragedy when you think about it. I hate the Patriots. Yeah. So I think what we're but trying I to- I love me some Mike. <laughs> I think what we're trying to say about all of this is uh, no doubt cover band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Um, I'm on stage. I'm, I'm probably halfway through a 15-minute set. Mm. And all of a sudden, like, people just start filing in. Which it's kind of like if you haven't been doing comedy very long, it's difficult to kind of deal with any kind of- disruption especially a crowd that's not looking forward to seeing you yeah or the people who are coming in don't want to see you and you can like audibly hear people saying like what's going on (laughs) who's that that's not that's not gwyneth stefani or or genie stefani or whatever the the fake name of the the no duh person is we have a show like that in town where uh, after we leave there's like a some kind of music like a salsa band comes in and without failure, it's in a nightclub. The last, the headliner, for your last half hour, club goers walk in disgusted that you're on stage. That you're doing comedy. And there's usually about 14 people in the audience, so they take over. The 30 people that come in are now, <laughs> they are now the loud majority. Yep, that's exactly what it was like. But here's the thing. Here's what I didn't know. Not only do they have a cult following, but 
the people who follow them come dressed to the concert as no doubt. Oh, God. So I'm doing comedy to a sea of Gwen Stefani's. <laughs> By the way, uh, just kidding, honey, if you're listening, it's kind of my dream of what. <laughs> That's why I got into comedy, yeah, is to tell jokes to Gwen Stefani's. <laughs> I just want to make it. Yeah. Oh, it sounds terrible, Joe. But at the time, it's so surreal. It's horrible, yeah. I think it's the weirdest thing that's, that's ever happened to me while I've been on stage, is just, without necessarily knowing what was going on or what was happening, is like, the sea of Gwen Stefani's that <laughs> file into the room. Like if I'm just like in some utopian at least like stand up comedy show. At least when you do the Juggalo Festival, you knew you were booked for that. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know. <laughs> Imagine just walking into a regular gig that happens to be full and of juggalos. Without uh without the insane, they're just a clown posse. There's just a clown that's us. <laughs> we're, we are the we are the rational clown posse. Yeah, no kidding. The sane clown posse. But I would say that's probably the weirdest the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me when I've been on stage. Like, were they angry? Were they like, Don't speak? <laughs> I know what you'll say. I don't I don't know the rest of that. I, that's all you need. I think that's it, right? That's, that's it, the whole that's, thing. That's it. Um I don't know, dude, but it was definitely bananas. Like, be (laughs) (laughs) you, motherfucker, you, you motherfucker, you. Um, You just had to drag that till you got (laughs) till you got the last one. Boom! I can't think of anything now. I'm caught up in the spider webs, motherfucker. (laughs) No, Um, it's the it's the weirdest thing that's at least surreal because I was on stage and I'm trying to get out these jokes. (laughs) I'm trying to give the people what they came for and <laughs> <laughs> which which if you were being honest you would just go ladies and gentlemen no duh <laughs> no duh um but I, I was on stage and I was internally thinking what the hell is going on because it's not like Gwen Stef- they didn't come dressed as like 2000s Gwen Stefani they came dressed like 1996 sweaty armband Looked like they just ran a marathon. Looked like they just did a five-hour set at like, right. you know, the the Hard Rock or whatever. And it was just so weird. And I remember being on stage and looking around and being like, "What the hell is going on?" And it right. was, it's like the most surreal thing that's ever happened to me because it's kind of like what it's like a dream scenario. Right. Like I'm afraid I'm gonna forget my jokes and 48 Gwen <laughs> Stefani's are gonna walk into the room. You, it's funny that we can't even come close to naming anyone else in the band. Well, no, yeah, it's just like that—that that kind of black guy. <laughs> That's I didn't all even, I remember. I didn't even know that. Yeah, there's like a guy who, like, Blake every Shelton, time they make, I think he's in it. Oh, Blake Shelton's <laughs> a silver fox. I think he's in it. <laughs> By the way, I know how much of an asshole I feel like just doing my own comedy because something about chasing performance. There's, it's inherently embarrassing. You're oh, showing, yeah. You're showing Unless your, you're actually famous. You're showing your ass to a room full of people. Like every time I post this, I want to break my phone, but also check it to see if people love me. It's embarrassing. It's, a, it's an exercise in humility. What extra humility is involved in being like in cover, but not to be a dick, but if you're in a cover band and you're dressing up like another dude, to play songs worse than he does them. 
There's got it, or maybe you feel better because someone's already taken the taken that like gone out on that ledge and done it. Maybe you're like, ah, this is a thing that people enjoy. I'm just playing. It's not like I'm putting myself out but there it's for easier. something. People yeah, that's hate. what I was gonna say. It's easier because it's like you hide behind the success of no doubt. But I liken it to comedians who emulate other comics and kind of copycat them. I see a lot of comics that act like Kevin Hart. I see a lot that act like uh, Louis C.K. or Dane Cook or freaking Daniel Tosh. Like you see it and it's transparent. You can see them doing the act. And you just like, I get it if you're new that you're just trying to feel things out. But if you've been around a while and you're still doing it, you just want to grab him and go, dude, we already have that guy. Yeah, there's that spot's taken. We already have. But why would you want to do that? We already have that guy. Well, do you feel like, uh, so it's one of the things I, I, I don't watch a lot of stand up. Like lately I've been watching some of the Netflix specials, but I am afraid of being influenced mm. by watching really great comics. Yep. And I think you have to, to me, it's like, I have to know that they're there and I have to know that it's possible, possible to be successful, <laughs> but I don't want to, I don't want them to influence what i'm doing like because there i mean there's just like in any yeah in any art form there's trends well there's a there's a comic i know and not around here but i would i would and i would never mention the person but and they don't intend to but i can listen to all their jokes and i can tell who they were listening to that week i could tell who they were vibing on when they wrote that joke yep i could tell i could tell when they wrote a certain joke they were listening to dane cook when they wrote a certain joke it was stan hope certain joke it was uh brian regan certain joke it was louis ck and i don't want that influence and it's tough not to do that because when you're starting out in comedy you want to be influenced because you're trying to find a lane yeah but i think at some point you just if you watch too much of something you start emulating it or you start kind of getting on that same track those same thoughts or it spawns other thoughts in you yeah and i just I completely steer clear. Like I just don't like watching any of it. I mean, I I guess like somebody like Chris Rock. Like I mean, if he was gonna have an influence on me, he would have already. So yeah. I feel safe watching that. But if I go and watch, you know, somebody new up and coming, or somebody that's like, you know, John Mulaney. Like I I haven't watched a lot of John. Mul- is it? Am I even saying? Is yeah, it? That's a, that's it's right. John Mulaney, right? Like I haven't watched a lot of him because I he's trendy yeah and kind of the it thing for a moment and i just don't want that to influence the kind of comedy i'm trying to do. well he's got such a unique voice too that it's hard not to get it caught in your head same thing with like uh like the brody steven yep you got it if you watch three hours of his comedy it's gonna be hard for that not to be stuck in your head for like three weeks mm-hmm. and see i that's how come i try to stay away from that just because i feel which is smart i i feel like i I don't know. You get aggravated when a comedian uses their own crutches, let alone if you start using one of theirs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, this is something I actually have been thinking about lately is, do you feel like there's somebody who owns a corner of comedy you're trying to do? Does that make sense? Um, like, do you do you look at somebody like Rogan or somebody like uh, Bill Burr and be like, I want to be, I want to occupy that spot? I don't think so. I, I I don't have that feeling. How about you? I don't think so either. Yeah. I feel 
Uh, As a matter of fact, I, I, no, I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> Here, here's how I That's, feel. There's no way to, there's no way to say that in a non-shithead manner. I, I'm, I'm probably going to say something pretty, pretty shithead. Also, I, I, one thing I do do from the outside looking in is I feel like the comedy I grew up on, like that Latin comedy, the yeah. stuff I originally was, was exposed to growing up. And what I thought comedy was for a long time, I think that's gone by the wayside. I don't think there is Latin comedy anymore. I mean, there's still people doing it, but I think it's hard to be successful being a quote unquote Latin comic. Um, but here's, I also feel like there's not a Latin comedy, a Latin comic owning any piece of, um, like modern comedy like yeah there's fluffy um but he's doing his own fluffy thing like he's his own little niche yeah but there's no modern hispanic comic that i feel is that really speaks to me like i I mean george lopez and all of those guys when i was younger they spoke to me because that was a culture around me but i don't think there's actually somebody that's out right now that actually speaks to young hispanics that are more millennial more yeah. and so do you think it's because they took it and squeezed so much of the juice out of it that it's going to take a while for there to be a new angle like there you notice there are a lot of uh there's a there's been an influx of 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 indian stand-up lately there actually yeah there has been because it hasn't been hit yet and so now it's coming to the forefront and and it's growing a big community and it's like and for us too it's like oh well, there's this perspective i haven't seen before i'm interested to see what this is about but 15 years from now the ones who become mega stars in that genre are going to be they're going to have kind of played it out and it may take a few years for a new perspective to come in i, I think it could be that it could be a, i think it's a combination of things you could be the first Mexican comic to represent the Mexican community who doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> who doesn't speak sp- Yeah. So that's like exactly that Yeah, that's exactly like what yeah. I'm talking about where like second third generation Yeah, there is no second third generation Hispanic comedy. At, at least not I mean I know people who do it, but I don't know anybody who's at the forefront. Mm-hmm. And I think that spot's open. Right. I think that there's an opportunity or there's something that I think that's why I'm dating Lexi. I'm trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying don't to, you steal my spot. I'm going to try, I'm, I'm try to marry into it. I'm going to bad take, enough you take our women. Don't, I'm gonna take, don't steal our one comedy <laughs> spot. I'm going to take her names and marry into it. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's a niche that's, that is potentially can be there. And I think like, um, I think there's like these in-betweens. Like Steve Trevino was here on Saturday. And I feel like he's kind of like, the newest school of that old school, if that makes sense. It does. Like, but I don't know but, if there's actually anybody that's. By the way, did modernly a quick, doing quick it. scan of his YouTube today, and I understand why he's successful. He knows how to put his stuff together. Yeah, it's quality stuff. I'm telling you, man. It's like that. You have to be. It's almost like you could be a better marketer and promoter. And your comedy just needs to be okay. And I'm not saying that's Steve's case. I'm saying that's what you said, Steve. I know you listen to this. (laughs) What I'm saying is that (laughs) that stuff. If you want to get yourself out, get your stuff out there. It needs to be quality. Yep. 
and it needs to be really well put together and you need to have like the top of the line everything so that you can actually look professional because people want to see you look nobody wants to watch a, a youtube video from their phone right like from recorded on a phone the only tough part for me is i know i won't ever have it in me to kind of write a bit or shape a bit towards making it successful on youtube you know how you'd like people have there's comics that have like oh i'm gonna do this song or turn it in like see i think you or, get them in volume right but i i can't just go like oh you know what's hot right now flat brim hats i gotta do my flat brim hat joke which is a lot of times what gets the half million views on there is you take what's like what's hot right now government shutdown oh shit new skit about government shutdown I can't do that. It's all expiration date it's, comedy. It's not in me. I, I one thing I loathe is expiration date comedy. Yeah, I never do it. I just absolutely hate it. <laughs> it's just like why talk about something that's in the news that you can't do a year from now. Yep. Like you, you have one month. You can tell that joke for one month, and it's a great joke, but you wasted all that effort into something that if you tell it next month, it's not going to be current, or it's just not going to hit the same way. And so it's I don't know. I I don't like that, but. But I, I think that the way to do it is really have volume and really have right. people that come to your YouTube channel or come to your podcast or come to whatever kind of content you're creating. And it's like, I like that. It's quality. And I'm in for that. Right. Yeah. Like it may not be something that they're going to that's going to go viral right away no. or may never go viral. But I think little by little you get a more intelligent audience. Right. Yeah. You get a better like those people that are in are going to be in. It's somewhat of a democracy. I I might not get the views, but the people who view it are going to be homeowners. They're in on. It. <laughs> <laughs> but I that's why I was looking at YouTube re, uh, the other day is I was looking and I only have like 3 videos on there, but the and I haven't promoted them, you know, but they've gotten traction that I'd look at that and I go like, "Okay, that's doing okay." For for me, that's doing okay. Yeah. Same thing with this is like I you can't I can't like get out there and slap this all over the place. It's not in me, but it gets it kind of gets the traction enough that I'm like if we were doing a show right now, I'd be like, this is fucking awesome, and that's enough for me. But the Instagram thing, I can't sell my soul for forty likes for the next two years. I can't do it. And the thing is, is it's necessary. It that's is. that's the that's the tough part, and I think that. I think that's something that you need to get past and I need to get past because it's not in us as people to do that. Yep. It's not in me to put out a teaser on Facebook. Hey, click this and like blah, blah, blah. Right. Like it's just not in me. I just right. feel like it's clickbait. I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel sleazy doing it. Like, a, like just yeah. not good. But I also understand that it's, it's a part of like this new grind that it we is. have to do. And it's like being a great comic just isn't enough. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think of what it probably took to make it in the eighties where you absolutely had to be in Los Angeles or New York. You had to, there was no if, ands or buts about it. You could be the best stand up comedy and Mil comic in Milwaukee and if you stood there, you were just going to forever be the best stand-up comic in Milwaukee. Right. I think that this tool, the internet, like I'm talking like I'm in the 90, <laughs> like in 1995. You are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you use it properly, um, 
<laughs> if you use this tool called the if internet. If you use the World Wide Web, if you jump on AOL and just, you know, and nobody picks up the phone line to <laughs> kick at, you off. Look at my buddy starting this new thing. His name is Al Gore. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really got to get on you board. You got to try it out, man. No, but I think that it, the internet and social media removes those boundaries of actually having to be in Los Angeles, right? Right. Which is perfect for somebody like you and I who aren't Los Angeles people. No. We don't like the Los Angeles comedy scene. Like we <laughs> we don't like traffic. Like everything about being down there seems like comedically builds bad habits. Yeah. And I don't I even know how to order stickers for myself. Sticker? So, yeah. <laughs> I don't belong I don't belong in the LA comedy scene. I don't even know how to order stickers with my face on it. <laughs> or uh, a business card. Yeah. Um but I think that it it's really it's an advantage for people like us who aren't who no longer have to be in Los Angeles or New York to be successful and can actually reach a wider audience right. with just hopefully building good content. And that's it. You only have to crack once. And once you crack once, you could be anywhere you want. Anywhere you want. Like there's there's national comedians that live everywhere. Nashville, Atlanta, Houston, everywhere. But you have to you have to break through. So that's where that's it's, where it helps. It's that ceiling and I think so I was talking to a, an old road comic once and he's like, "Yeah, you know when I was coming up, the thing to do was you live in the Midwest because you could take gigs back east yep. and you could take gigs out on the west coast because you're in the middle yeah. and you can just drive to either or and then once you get good enough and you feel like you have the chops you choose a side and you go that way you go to the east coast or you go to the west coast but do you, feel you have to do one do you feel comfortable disclosing who that person was i'll cut it out no I, i'm just wondering <laughs> I'm, i remember the message but not necessarily who gave it to me oh, okay um doesn't matter yeah i don't think it matters but (laughs) (laughs) i don't think your question matters chris floyle rick gutierrez Rick Gutierrez (laughs) told me that yeah no but it was somebody that had god now it's killing me that i don't know who it is but um i know it's somebody like i I respected and it it was somebody obviously kind of really old school that yeah oh actually you know what i might have actually heard it on on a podcast it might have been uh that blind comic (laughs) So he wasn't driving east or west. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't know which way he was going. Uh, His last name is Dwyer. I want to. I don't know. know. It's kind of. It's kind of irrelevant. But like, it's you don't have to do that anymore. And that we're kind of growing up in an age where that's happening. But also, we're in comedy in an age where everybody's a comic. Right. Where it's just sheer volume and volume and volume of content and the flat bill hat thing and like it's just it's low-hanging fruit everywhere you look and so it's like now the not that i grew up in in the 80s doing comedy but like i think now the difficult part is how do you stand out yeah where you can be the best comic but how do you actually what does that matter if you're not standing out if you're not on all these different platforms and you know reaching the people who actually want to find you yeah um because there's people out there who actually really appreciate your comedy, my comedy. And it's just like, how do we... It's just a longer, we, yeah. it's a longer route. I know somebody who I ran into very early in comedy, and they were at the same point of comedy that I was, right? Same exact point. Uh, pretty good on stage. Not special, but pretty good. Serviceable. Um, but was was dating a publicist. Oh. 
like an older publicist. Yeah. Uh, or at least it seemed like they were, di- like there's some kind of thing going on uh, and is really taken off. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you off mic a little bit more about it, but like really taken off in, in, in terms of exposure, um, which if you can do that, I guess that helps. I mean, I but, but I'm not to, beyond selling my soul right now. <laughs> but to go to go the route of letting your stuff speak for itself is typically a much longer road. Yeah, that's that's the difficult part is how because I don't think stuff speaks for itself anymore. I think yeah. you you have to like force feed people your stuff now because you know, in the 80s you can be the best comic in the room and you can be at the comedy store and everybody knew that you, you know, that Robin Williams was the best comic that's at the comedy store. But now you're up against Robin Williams, the best comic at the comedy store, and also everybody else. Right. Like the best comic in Milwaukee now has has his own niche and space on, online. Yep. So it's like, how do you... You have to be a better comic than everybody else, but you have to be better at just figuring out where your audience is, how to reach them. And that's the stuff I'm trying to... I'm trying fighting to with out. right now. Yeah. Speaking, you said your uh, your weird story opening up for no duh. I don't know if I ever told you one of the weirdest and creepiest things that happened to me. And forgive me if I have told you about it before. Have I ever told you about the time I did a show in Houston? I know you went out there for work. Yeah. And you, you kind of hit up one of the open mics, right? I, I did. Yeah, I did an open mic while I was out there. And I was talking to, I think, J.J. Salt's in town about about this particular place because he was there before he travels right he does like he travels he, he, for work he travels yeah he's so. yeah um he he travels a lot he's pretty pretty official guy i think he's very he's very modest and I, he doesn't talk about it but i think he's a pretty official guy nice um i was out there i was not an official guy <laughs> <laughs> they allow you in houston if you're not also <laughs> so i was out there for work and and this is i was only like Maybe a year and a half in, maybe, yeah, about that. And I go down to Houston, so I'm all full of piss and vinegar. I'm going to do an open mic, and now I'm going to be a national comedian. Because <laughs> I have to fucking three states, baby. That's going. Yeah, you're, but, you're you know, doing it. You rack up a couple states, you feel like you've really done some shit. So I go down, and I have my iPhone 4, uh, which is which even at that point was like two years, three years outdated, and <laughs> fuck you <laughs> fuck you don't you start you do the same go. thing go go <laughs> i'm there and the problem is i'm at a bar with all my coworkers and they don't seem to really they don't seem to really like me much I so, can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. Yeah, it's me at a bar. Yeah, it's it's not your it's not your scene. It's, it's me at a bar, bar and they didn't come out to see me talk about myself. So. You're just gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. They didn't see, come to see me talk about my private parts. So I'm not having a great time. And I decide to go off to this open mic, but I don't have my my I had the Uber app, but the app wasn't updated. And I have an iPhone 4, so I only had 3G, so I couldn't download the new app. And also, my phone started to die because being the 4S, the battery's fried, and it would die like after 40 minutes of use. Like, I had to charge it all day. I had to charge it all day to use for five minutes at a time. So that's where I'm at. I'm on a back alley in Houston trying to get an Uber, and I'm away from everybody. 
but I got to get to this open mic. I think it was, I think it was, it wasn't Rudyard's. It was motherfucker. I forget the name of the place now. Uh, it was, it was a second story place, but anyway, I can't get an Uber. So I just hail a cab. Finally, a cab comes and it's this skinhead looking dude. And I open the door and I say, Hey, do you take credit? And he goes like, yeah, he just kind of grunts. I didn't tell you about this. No, I, I, I've heard, I think only pieces of this story. So I get in the back of the cab and he, he asked me where I'm going and I tell him the name of the place and he starts driving and I tell him I'm heading to he asked me why i'm going i said i'm going to do an open mic for comedy he starts telling me about his band of course and he, no duh no, <laughs> <laughs> he starts telling me about his cover band and things are going good i thought and then i start asking him questions of like oh like what's the craziest cab story like i bet you see a lot of crazy stuff while you're doing this huh and he just starts talking. He's like, no, you know, normally I get these guys that are just pieces of shit and they want to take advantage of me. And they're at, and he goes, he starts having like a, a, he's going somewhere. He's having a fit. He's going away and someone else is coming out. And he starts yelling about these people that make him disgruntled. And then he starts pointing at the passenger seat and like punching the seat and screaming at it as though the person he's angry at is next to him. Jesus. And then... He turns that person into me. So he starts going like, oh, you fucking this and you fucking that. Oh, you fucking take it. Oh, and do I take credit? Yeah, sure, I take credit. So I can pay the extra fucking fee. And I'm just sitting in the back like, what's going on right now? And I'm we're going down back streets in Houston, and I don't know where I'm at. Yeah, you have no idea. He's You're- yelling at the seat and banging the seat. And, he, and then he's just going, ugh, ugh. And I'm like, I'm going. How did you not roll out of that cab? Like you can't, you can't, because I don't know why I've died. <laughs> I don't even know if I can open the cab door until he stops. He might have me child locked. I don't fucking know. But I'm, I'm just, I don't know whether to say something to him or not because I know he was just yelling at me. But I know he sounds like he's gonna die. So I'm like, are you? He sounds like he's turning into a werewolf. I'm like, are you? You all right? And he tells me he has Crohn's disease and it's acting up. And I don't even know if that's what that. I th- no, I think Crohn's disease is, is like your GI. Yeah. I think it makes you poop. So maybe he was going to maybe he was going to shit in the cab and tr- trying to hold that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so he's just screaming at, at the top of his lungs. And, and I'm worried that he's going to careen off the highway now. And then finally we're going and he just makes a sharp left turn into a back alley. And it just looks like warehouse buildings. And he stops the car, and I'm like, oh, no. This fucking guy's going to, like, stab me or something. And he just goes, that's it. Here. I'm like, what? He goes, there's your place. And I look, and he's pointing to, like, a second story, and I can kind of see, like, the letters of the, the name. And I, I got out, and I was like, fucking A, man. I, I thought I was dead right there. I go into the open mic. And it's a cool-looking spot. Second story, I think it was supposed to start at like 9 or 10 p.m., so I want to go first on the lineup so I can just so get... So you can get out of there? Yeah, because I got work the next day or whatever we have to do. So I show up, and the room's starting to fill up. There's like 50, 60 people, which for an open mic, you know, doesn't happen. Yeah, it's so, a good open mic. <clears throat> good, flat room, dark, all this shit. So the the host comes up to me after I signed up. I'm first, and he's like, "Hey, have you ever done this before?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I've done this a couple of years." <laughs> like, 
Because <laughs> you have to. Yeah, I've absolutely. This, I've done this a couple years. Yeah, have you? <laughs> and he goes, because I learned my lesson at the aviator saying, I've, you know, stumbling, saying I've done this a couple years and they cut my time. Yeah. And don't give me steak. you're going to do two minutes. Yeah. So I said, I yeah, think I've, I know. I think I heard pieces of this, but. So, yeah, I've done this a while. Yeah. I hope I haven't said it on here before. But anyway. I, was like, I don't think so. Yeah, I've done this before. And the host goes, good. They're always tight up top, and they're not good, and, and I want to have a good set tonight, so I'm just going to throw you right up, and, and, and I'm going to go up later. And it like it took a second to process in my head, and I like I was about to go like, what? <laughs> and, but he was gone. He's just gone. And within seconds, he's up on stage going, all right, how is everybody? And the people are still not even paying attention to him. He's like, okay. We're going to do our first comic. Give it up for Fyle or whatever he said my name was. And I went up and it was just, just a cold room. Cold room. I'm a year and a half in. I'm not ready for a cold room. I'm traveling. I haven't traveled. So all I did was I just went up and talked about what it's like to be from California and talk about L.A. shit. And they didn't care. And then I thought left. I got up and I thought, like, you Houston people, I bet you can't wait to hear about Houston, about L.A. <laughs> about Los Angeles, yeah. But they're not only do they not care, but Houston's got a snobbiness to its town too. Oh yeah, of course. So there's, there's the Los Angeles of Texas. They're Houston snobs. They when they see me from California on stage, they go, "Oh, you're from California. I bet you want to hear about Houston." Oh. So they're just giving me blank stares pretty much the whole time. And I did my five minutes and got off and wanted to kill myself. And then I sit down in this little booth on the side of the room, and and for the rest of the night watched some girl who was going to do comedy for the first time also. She was going up later in the night. I think she was in like her 20s. Watched her sit in a booth and try not to be harassed by a couple next to her that were bringing, trying to bring her home for a threesome. And I just sat in this surreal, like, what the fuck am I doing? And finally, I, I, <laughs> I, I just snuck out of there, tail between my legs, and I had to walk like six blocks back to, wherever to, you find, came a, from. to find another cab. And I'm just panicking, and, and luckily this dude picked me up. Who like I don't even know if he spoke English. Uh, this African, but you were done trying. This to African talk to dude, the taxi I, was, I was like, in Houston. I was like, you know what? Just kill me. We're it's fine. fine. This is good. And he took me back, and it was fine. Host went up eighth, by the way. Jeez. Prime spot. Did okay. Got okay. Got some okay laughs. Well, I mean, like, I depending on what you keep and don't keep from keep from the saturday one but like it's like that's not what you want from your host no right like that's not that's, what i wanted that's not what you want from any host going up eight what he probably did 10 minutes too but i learned so yeah he did of and course. I, I learned so goddamn much from that night i learned uh, no one care like no one cares where you're from you got to earn it like you're not going to score cool points for being out from california for one don't try that bullshit <laughs> <laughs> Two, I learned how not to act when I was a host. Three, I learned at any of my shows, don't let people poach and be creepy with the especially the new comics. Like we have a couple in town right yeah, now. Yeah, we have we have a few right now that are Because she didn't she didn't even go. She didn't even go. She she, she didn't did, go up. She didn't go up. She snuck out. I saw it like I I didn't want to add to the weirdness by diving in so i would just kind of as they were saying shit i would just kind of give like a one of these to try to in, maybe instill some shame but it didn't work and eventually she just snuck out and so she was going to do comedy that night 
and now and didn't do it because two two middle-aged horn dogs just couldn't handle themselves. I, I hate when the room takes away comics I actually want to watch. Yep. Like or even just yeah, comics. Like, yeah, it's we I think we're at a point locally where it's like you have to be there on time to even get any spot at at any of the open mics like right. you need to be there in advance. But it's you know, there's there's people you like watching, there's people who you know, or a name on the list. <laughs> and uh, and you there's all... the there's the I'm gonna take a piss spot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, what's you funny? know, you just want like there's times like I and it's an open mic, so it's like you you know you can't take it you you can't take it too seriously. But right. I sometimes look at the list and I'm like, man, I wish I could move <laughs> people around. Yeah, like just for the sake of the room sometimes or. Yeah. Um, or, you know, this person showed up late, so they're not going up. And, uh, but, you know, like there's this spot between six and 14. <laughs> I just wish I could watch them, right? Um, <laughs> I w- would you go out in the bargain lot and tell your jokes? Because I will And definitely... I hate to say that because I know a lot of the local people listen. So it's it's none of you guys. No, nah, none of you at all. <laughs> But like this is hype. This is also people not from town. And I feel like it's just like that 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 time when you're first starting out is just so um, pivotal. And I think, um, for instance, like I won't say any names, but there's new comics who go up and do five minutes of nothing, right? And absolutely nothing like right. like they're doing like nothing like that nothing is being done like nothing is being done right and then there's comics on the sidelines like i that i know are doing something right, right? like at a recent mic i always butcher her name i have no idea what her Alyssa sucks Alyssa sucks she showed up and i really wanted to watch her because i i get a lot of, i get a lot out of watching new people who are actually trying because right. it's like it re- rejuvenates you or you're like oh i like that yep um like i wanted her to go up and she wasn't she's not at a point where she can actually be like hey i'm here can you please put me on um but i was like man i really wanted to watch her but then as soon as i asked her if she was going up and she told me no i watched four comics of nothing like <laughs> And I mean, it, you know, it's like, can can yeah. we give some of that time back to the room? And I know it's it's nobody's call though. Like it's not Dan Betts's call. Like the room is what the room is, yeah. and the time belongs to the people who sign up. It is unfortunate. It's unfortunate though because it's like I really wish I could watch some some of the people that that I haven't watched recently. Right, but that you have to. That's the tough part is you have to let it because it can't be lawless. Flourish. It can't be lawless. And you never know what's going to happen. I I can't tell you how many comics I've heard say that like came up around the same scene as like a Hannibal Burris or even a Sebastian that they said they were terrible when they started. And now they're some of the best comics in the world. And it's like, well, and the worst thing, the worst thing would be chasing someone away because they were treated like less than a peer. Well, I don't think chasing away is what, I want everybody to be there. Right. Right. No, like, I you get, want everyone to be there. But no, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And there's times I look at the list and I go, God damn it. Or I look at the list and I want to grab two people and go, you know better. You should know better not to sign up next to each other. <laughs> I do. Think about what you're doing. I do. 
But if I do that, it, it, it opens a floodgate. It opens a floodgate, and there's the off chance you chase one of them away um, by by doing that. And who knows what they're going to be like in three years if they stick with it. Yeah, exactly. It's But it's... You don't want it, you don't want to turn it into something lawless. Um I mean usually you know what they're going to be like in 3 years if they stick with it, but but, but maybe not. <laughs> you never know. Uh to close us out on a nice high note, best you've ever felt coming off stage. Could be a couple of them. Could be a couple of them. Could be a couple of them. Okay. I think just like as a one-off, like I I can't say it's because it was in front of industry people or it was a huge show or it was like any of those things. Um, I did a, I think it was what at the time was a first Friday funnies Mm -hmm. at the element lounge. And yeah, it was element lounge and it was a, a Tyson Paul ran show and I got 10 minutes and I don't know what made that 10 minutes different than any other 10 minutes I've ever done. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's where I was in the lineup. I don't know if it's because it was a good crowd that night or exactly what happened. But it's probably the most flawless 10 minutes I've ever done. Ooh. And I came off stage and it's one of the only times I've ever felt like... I didn't mess anything up. Like I was just completely happy with what just happened, which never happens. It yeah, it's it, that's why it stands out. It never ever happens. Right. And even though like within the set I had things I kind of improved uh or improvised. Yeah. And that went really well and I want to say somebody said something in the st- in in the crowd. It wasn't necessarily heckling, but it was like just the right amount of involvement that it allowed me to be a little bit loose and make fun of them a little bit, but not, not take it too far. So it was just enough crowd stuff going on, just enough people there. Yeah. And I think probably more so than anything, it was the people in the front looked just so genuinely happy that I was doing what my set was. Like, they were like... That's what it's all about. Yeah, they were looking at me like, oh, what is this person going to say next? And, I mean, they don't know me, and they didn't know what they signed up for. They had probably never seen any of my sets before. And I think it's the closest I've ever come came to being like, this is what it must feel like to be famous. Yeah. Where people are actually waiting for whatever you're about to say next. Like, you can see... Like they were lingering on every kind of thought that I had, and yeah. it was just like the perfect um, pot of I don't I mean not perfect pot of chaos like perfect pot of harmony right where it was just right right where I needed to be in the lineup yeah and I had just the amount of material that I needed and it was just the right material for that night and I came off stage and I was just like that's the best I've ever felt coming off stage where Mm. it wasn't the longest set I've ever done. It wasn't even my favorite jokes. Like it was just like organically the best set I've ever had without thinking too much of 
about it and i just got off stage and i was like that i don't i think that's why i got into comedy like i think that's where i want to be like if i can have that night those people this set i mean longer but I felt like I gave they paid ten dollars for the show and I felt like I gave them thirty dollars worth of show. Yeah. And And you know you'll spend the rest of your nights chasing that. Yeah, and I know that yeah, it just fills up the tank with But you enough. know it's out there. Yeah, I know that it's possible, right? And that's you know, it's tough to be like, you know, in in 10 years of doing this that it was a 10-minute set on a show that, you know, majority of the time people, you know, for what it is, people don't like doing. Yeah. Um, or isn't always the best producer, whatever the case is, right? Right. But it's like sometimes you show up to stuff like that and it's like it just comes together. Yeah. And I think that's the best I've ever felt on that scale. Um, the show I did in Fresno with Steve Trevino. 2,000 seater. 2,000 seats. It was, you know, a window into what comedy is like on the other side. When yeah. you can actually sell out, you know, a 2,000 seat arena and what comedy is like from that stage, because it's it it's something that to this day I've never felt. Um, but the difference between or, you know, the thing I noticed the difference was it's the only time in my life that I've felt laughter mm. like you can normally hear it like on, sm- you know, at at rocket shop you can hear the laughter and it's a great vibe i i heard it that night when i had a great set at at tyson's show but to hit on a joke for two thousand people and you can he, you can feel a wall of laughter hit you where it almost kind of takes you back it almost kind of takes your breath away and and it's very uh out of left field because when you're on that stage and I don't want to say it's always like that. I don't know. It's, I've only did, done it the one time. But when you're on stage, you can't see anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a ma- I, I mean, I've never done comedy to, like, a, a mirror or, you know, an empty room where it's just me. But that's what it felt like. Like, I couldn't tell if there's 40 people out there. I couldn't tell if there's 2,000 people out there until that first joke landed and then you felt how much people were out wow. there. So for your whole set, you never saw anyone. I didn't see anybody. I mean, like, you're peeking out uh, from backstage to see people coming in. And so you know the volume of people out there. You know it's a lot of people. But you can't even see the front row when you're up there. You can't see the front row. Like, at about, you can kind of see, like, just silhouettes yeah. of some sections. Um. But I imagine that that takes a different skill to absolutely kill for 45 minutes on that stage because you can't you can't vibe off of people like the the people on the front row at Tyson's show got me through my next bit right. because I could see them lingering and I could and they were motivating me to, you know, be the best comic I can be. You just already have to go up on stage the best comic you can be and not let the crowd give you anything because there's not that personal connection. I didn't feel that, but to feel a wall of laughter, like to feel like it just hits you that you just made 2000 people laugh at once over something you thought about when you were on the toilet or at the gym. Um, that is a different, (laughs) and that's a different high. Like that's the, one of the best feelings I've had 
But I would say if I had to do it, you know, if I had to choose between the two, I'd probably go with the small oh, Tyson course. show. Of course. Every single time. But it's just knowing that that, that both knowing that both of those things are out there gets you through tomorrow's open mic, right? Like yeah. that that's what gets you through is knowing that maybe if you're lucky, if you reach the right amount of people, if you do the right YouTube, if you do whatever, if you write the right joke, if you just break through that wall, that that both of you can have both of those things. You can go to the improv and have what you had at Tyson's show, or you can go do a 2000 seat theater and have what you have, what you, you know, what I had there. Right. And so knowing that both of those things are alive in comedy and that they exist and potentially are, are options. Both of those, both of those instances are definitely the best I've ever felt. And speaking of the theater thing, I, I mean, I can, I can speak to that same way doing the Fox theater, man. I can feel those 129 <laughs> strong. <laughs> what about I mean, I could f- I saw every fucking one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself? What's the best like in mm. see for me I I romanticize so much about stand-up comedy that I think I've I've but I, you're mm. just so innately right, nothing well. is ever good enough. You know like yeah. which is what I think I'll give you I'll give you two angles of mine because I want to ask you the follow up for myself of uh, the the two differences to me between like you said how you feel just being on stage and giving something and then coming off stage and then the second one I wanted to ask you was external gratification the the best thing that somebody in the know had ever said or done with you that was like okay I'm on to something yeah I, so. The ones there, like you said, they're always kind of, they're always kind of these benign moments. The ones that make you feel the best, because you know you gave something in a, what could have been an unwinnable situation. So when I was, I did a show at the Irish Heritage Club one time, where there was like forty people there only, and during the set, I think the person that went up before me had a tough one and it was just like a the night could have gone weird and it was just the night that everything lined up together and the set list the set list that I had planned just happened to be what the night called for because at that time I was still throwing fastballs I wasn't going to change the pitch count uh, and it just lined up perfectly and, and same thing everything from start to finish was just blasting to the point where I think it was a 20 minute set and like seven or eight minutes in I had it. I have it recorded somewhere, but and the phone's in my pocket. It, like, so which it's would, a little muffled, which would normally sound muffled, but it's still you can hmm. still hear like the like how for forty people how loud they got, and it got to the point where like seven or eight minutes in, these people are are giving huge laughs at the setups. Like they they don't. It's not a joke yet, but they know the joke is coming, and you could hear that they're laughing of like oh like here it comes yeah here it comes and it like something like that that kind of night or uh there was a show that i went to that i was doing some i was doing a longer set it was like a half hour or 40 minutes uh and there wasn't a big turnout and there was supposed to be as it always is yeah that's always the case but it was one of those reaffirming nights of oh you have learned something because i was like i'm not i was like i'm not gonna quit i'm gonna stay in the pocket and you just stay in and it sounds like there's a hundred people because you didn't quit on the ones who actually 
did Those show. people can be 100 people. One one last one that made me like have a good feeling of like maybe I'm on to something is uh, we did a show at Rocket Shop back when Bruce was still here. And I think it was Chris Cope that was the headliner. And we had been on a competition panel together a couple months after that. Um, and he had come out to do a show and they had the news coming down and I was going up right before Chris and the news is there and I'm a new comic relatively. I'm still am, but, <laughs> but at that point I'm like half of what I am now time wise and the news is there and they're like, Hey, they want to mic you up to record some of your set. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah. And at this point, I'm just trying to get my set list to make sure I don't forget. Yeah, anything. you're just like, whatever. Just let me get up there. So they're putting the mic on me, and then they go, hey, they want to call you outside and do a little sound bite of you before you go on. So like, now I got to do an interview, and I just want to get in my own head. But in my mind, I'm going, don't freak out. Just hang. And it's one of the, you know how you can't fake it? There's some days that your mind is quiet, and you would pay any amount of money that, that you could to buy that, but you can only just have it sometimes. There's yeah. only sometimes you can just have it there's like weird childhood memories i remember one time i was playing little league and i was always a really scared kid i was always a scared kid like when i went up to bat i was afraid i was going to get hit i was afraid i was going to strike out i was afraid i was going to get hit and strike out i never (laughs) went up not scared there was one day it was raining during a game i was on deck to go up to bat and i just had some weird sense of fuck it in my body that i was like i know when i get up i could never hit the ball worth shit i know when i get up i'm going to hit i'm going to hit this thing out of the park the game got rained out right before. <laughs> and when they, <laughs> res- when they rescheduled the game, I was scared shitless and, and the kid almost hit me and then I struck out. But you can't plan those times when your mind is quiet. And it just so happened that this day of the news, my mind was settled down of like, yeah, you know what? They're micing me. I know I know what I'm ready to do. Yeah, I'll give the sound bite. If, if I want to be a successful comedian, this is the things a successful comedian would have to deal with. And and that little antagonistic, here you go, Chris Cope. I know you're. I know you got a, a big following, and you're a real good comic. So you should be used to this. So if I want to do what you're doing, I should be I used should to do this. It, yeah. And it just and my mind was quiet, and I just kind of hung in the pocket. And I get on stage, and the lights are on. And a minute and a half into my set, Harmon turned the lights down. Uh, which we're used to now, but it, he like it usually wasn't a thing back then. So ninety seconds in, the lights go down, but my mind was quiet. So I was in the pocket and just and just like turned it into like oh this is a romantic part of the show and just played with the crowd on that and that's what they wound up putting on the news and it just like it was a solid th- those reaffirming moments of like oh I did I did something that I couldn't have done before I ticked all the boxes that felt like nothing. And I did something to where in 10 years I could look back and if this turns into nothing, I could go, yeah, you know, I did, I did something. I did a couple things. Yeah, I did a couple things. I did a couple things that you would have to have an acumen at this to do. Those are always, it doesn't have to be a big crescendo of a moment. It's just one of those like, I'm in the world because this is one of those earn your stripes moments and it worked out. I, I think that those are big. Like the when you get, when you can have those little wins yeah. that don't seem like a lot, like even if they're mental Right. You went up without, you know, sitting down and going through your checklist of things that you were going to do, writing your set, doing all those things. And. And it's things that are safety nets. And then little by little, you realize it's just more part of the process than a safety net. Right. It's like, like, I I am going to do this because I always do it. But also. 
I know I don't need to do it to be successful. Yeah. And those things are wins like all to themselves. Exactly. So So the other the other one I wanted to ask you was external gratification. Because yours your I like I said, I respect your comedy very much. And so I can use you as a barometer when things And then I'll give you a story about a time I watched you because I, I think are, I've, I've told you this already, but go ahead. Well, that's what I was going to say is our, our talks, um, we vibe, you know, as, as 19 goddamn recordings will show. <laughs> but when we did that Hanford 2 show and after the show was over, you came over and we shook hands and you said, hey, that was that was a that was some show. We we had a show. And uh, and it was one of those like because you don't say that when it's not a show, so I felt like we went out and we went to another town, who didn't expect they didn't know what didn't they didn't know us they didn't don't know anything. us at all, and and it we gave them something that was good enough that the entire room battered our eardrums afterwards with their own personal stories and it was enough that it was enough that when we found each other after the show you who doesn't do those things unless it's it happened said hey i think we we gave we did something that that was that was and a show here's you know what was that something that you probably didn't realize about that show is i feel looking outward uh in having been on many shows with you haven't been on a, a ton of uh open mics with you like kind of shared this lane right is i think that's the proudest i've seen you after a show mm. it's the only time after a show where a you actually wanted to hang around a little bit yeah because normally especially us like you put us anywhere on a tuesday and we want to get the hell out of there like as soon as possible mm-hmm. um but I, it's probably one of the only times I've ever watched you physically acknowledge a win mm. where it's like we did do something yeah. and this was an amazing night and it's probably the best I've seen you, right? You, like you... You know what it, you, you know what it was? For, I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. I, <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say something nice. Like, <laughs> no, <y'all. laughs> oh, I wasn't. Good. You know, you know what it was, I think, for me, is when we walked in there, they reminded me of home. Yeah. But more. Because I've spent my whole life trying to be embraced by home. And it's never quite worked out. As much as I wear it and I want it to be that way, not quite. Yeah. Uh and that's why I'm here. Luckily, if I was embraced by home, I'd be working at Walmart distribution like the other people who were awesome when I was 16. Yeah. That's just how it happens. So luckily it chased me out here. But I've like like I don't know if you have a dream like one like a one moment like for like if this comedy thing works out encompassed in one moment, but I have a visualization in my head of what it would be like to actually make this work and crack and break through and you make it to being a comic and you make it to being a big comic. I know exactly where you're going with this, but go ahead. <laughs> well, you guess it. Huh? If you, you can, you could, you could say it if you want, if you, it's going home, going home. And it's I doing would, a show on a, on a grand scale for the people yeah. that either did 
or did not invest in you or and believe in you. That would so be. So you're giving the people that believed in you something, and you're also giving the people that didn't believe in you something. That would be the thing. That would be the goal. Like to actually make it to where you're you're a marquee name, and do a free show back home, Mart's Hall in the basketball arena. I wasn't good enough to play in, and I'm backstage and it's full of my people who I spent my whole life trying to get embraced by and finally they're there and I walk out and they're there. That would be so that's, that's and so dream. we're in Hanford and I walk in and I see a bunch of people who look like my people. They look just like them. They act just like them. They're pounding beers just like <laughs> them. They brought their own food just like them. They got a heckler in the back who everybody almost beats up just like them. They got one guy trying to fuck another guy's wife just like them. <laughs> And then we go up and do the show, and we gave them. They 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 were like, they wanted to adopt us. I think the Booker. I think, I think the Booker got like one or two new venues, like because of that show. Because of that show, they're like, we got to bring you guys out again. I heard them talking about it, and so it was like, you guys remind me of everything I've tried to get to wrap its arms around me my whole life, and you wrapped your arms around us. And so it, and, and like I said, man, like I definitely felt, I, I felt like that meant more to you than anything else that we've done. Yeah. Like on, on, I mean, you, this is the first time you've ever told, shared that with me. Yeah. I mean, I could feel that. Right. Yeah. And from the moment you got in, you said, this reminds me of a bar that we would have back home. Like yeah. these are the people that are sitting inside that bar back home. And so I could tell automatically that no regardless of how that show played out for me whether regardless of how it played out for you that you were going to do something in there that i hadn't seen you do before and that was just everything yeah. like you were going to do everything you could <laughs> and yeah. you did man and even it was the, like even the cheap joke that we both don't like because <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of everything it's part of everything but you have that same i completely that same drive of like i can't tell you how many times i've thought about doing the fox packed out to see me right and the same that same dream of like i remember you wouldn't come out to rocket shop yeah and those people are here yeah and i remember you would come out and those people are here, right? Right. Um, it's you want home to be proud of you, yeah. right? Because I, I'm in a lot of ways proud of home, right? Like I wrote an article about the comedy scene here locally. Like I hope that it's one day I can, and I know a lot of that is just like your own internal, like you, your your home can't make you make it in comedy, right? right? But you want to give them something to be proud of despite the fact that they were never really there. Right. <laughs> like, and it's, it's almost like this is what you were missing. Yeah. And go find this right now because it's happening somewhere else. Exactly. Right now. And it's almost a gratitude. It's almost a give thanks of even despite that, you ide- you identify, like if I'm you, and you identify with Bakersfield so much because you're from here and the roots of it are just in your blood, that if you were to make it as a comedian, you're standing there on that Fox stage 
uh, Fox Theater stage saying, the entire country or the entire world wants me in their town tonight, and I'm yours. Yep. I'm yours. I. It, it's so, gotten so bad that... I have like pictured what music I would play. Uh, me too. I've pictured, and I can't listen to the song. I <laughs> I can't. I it's ruined the song for me because I can't listen to I, it. Here's uh here's what I always picture. And this is how I picture these first moments playing out. God, I can't, we can edit this <laughs> if, it, if it's too corny. Uh, <laughs> well, it's an hour I, and fifty I've genuinely, in. If, the, if it's an it's an hour and fifty in. If they're still listening, you're fucking corny too. <laughs> um, <laughs> you I've loser. Genuinely, I, I've genuinely thought in my mind. I don't know what making it and doing all these shows at like these big arenas would be like. I would assume I have some kind of thing I wear, right? Like I don't picture like a suit and tie, like Lopez kind of a Fuck thing. No. But I can picture myself whatever it is I would normally wear to a show, just coming up in a sweatshirt, jeans, and a t shirt. And just explaining to everybody that the reason why I'm not dressed up is because I'm home. Yeah. And just saying, this is home. What? This is how, this is, what? you guys are going to get the piece of me that that is home. Like, no need to dress up. That's like, right. we're all in this, like, here in this room together sharing this space. What song do you come out to? Streets of, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what song do you come out to? Do you have it? Of course. It's probably the same one as yours. What is it? Is it Skylar Gray? No, I don't know. No, what it's that not is. the home song. No, by the I'm coming home. Like oh, the one that Puff Daddy ruins. I'm coming home. Coming no, no. Home. So it's uh, is it Puff Daddy? Yeah, probably. But it's definitely that song. That's as the corny best. as it is. Like that's no, that's, that's the not dream. corny. I fucking hate Puff Daddy because of that song. It's Skylar Gray. I think that's the lady's name. If it is, she's real, like real sweet. I'm coming home. Yeah, that's exactly. John Jones it. came out to it when he fought uh, Alexander yeah, Gustafson. So that's it. But can I guess what yours is? <laughs> yep. Or at least I, I don't know if I'm going to guess the exact song. Yep. But for some reason, I'm. I'm, I'm I really thinking, don't want to say it. I'm thinking Jay Z, and I have no Close. idea why. I'm Close. thinking like either Nas, Jay Z, like in that vein of like East Coast rapper. Close. It's close. You wouldn't expect the rapper that it is, but it's, uh, and I'll in a very quick manner explain where it comes from and why. Okay. Kanye West, Homecoming. It's on graduation. The album. I had. I, I, maybe I'm, I'll. I'm blanking on the actual. Maybe let, I'll, Let's let's lead out. You. you can I'll lead play out it as. Right, I'll yeah. play it as the lead out for this. I guess. Seem super fucking corn. I really wanted to keep this. <laughs> do to, it. I do really it. wanted to keep this to myself, but uh, it is uh, in the. He's vulnerable. People look at Kanye. The reason, see, it's cool to share the memes of I like old Kanye now, but a lot of people don't really get what that's the, through the wire, Kanye. Yeah, but a lot of people don't. The first three albums of Kanye West may be the best collection of three albums that a rapper has ever done that a hip hop artist has ever done. And you can hear the vulnerability in it. You can hear the desperation in it. You can hear that he's still a fan. When you listen to the dropout, there's uh, you hear through the wire, which he wrote uh, that, which he wrote and, and wrapped and produced after he broke his jaw in an accident that almost yeah. killed him. He through being a producer had to raise his own money from what I understand to release the track and make the video for it. I think it was 30 or 40 grand of his own money he had to put up. 
uh, Rockefeller Records didn't believe in that he would be an actual rapper. They thought he was just going to be a producer. Yeah, he was just the guy behind the He tracks. had to do it himself, and he had to force his way in, and then all of a sudden he was the biggest name out there. And he's got a song also at the very end of the of the CD. I forget what it's called, but he he does like two verses, and then for like eight or nine minutes, he tells the story about how he got signed by Rockefeller Records, and it talks. It just chronicles the whole, th- all the dirt that he had to dig through, and you hear the vulnerability, and you hear that he's a fan that just wanted to make it, and you hear that he believed in himself, and everyone else was telling him he couldn't do it, and you would identify with that if you've ever tried to do anything unconventional, anything, and if you've done anything. If you listen to that album top to bottom, and you listen to that song from start to finish, every time I do, I come away and i go i get the craziness because the to make it you have to have that crazy attitude but the tough part is to shed it once you get it he's still got that in him somewhere but he's been a mega millionaire for a decade so it's hard to identify then late registration is the second album and it's got a lot of those same types of things on it and then graduation you it kind of sounds like he's starting to get comfortable being who he is but he's starting to figure out how to deal with being special, being acknowledged as special. And he writes this, he, he did this song called Homecoming uh, that has some throwback to some other people like Common and Talib Kweli and all these people. I were, love Common. <clears throat> were, and these were people that put their arm over him when he was coming up when people didn't believe in him. And as soon as he got huge, he was the guy taking these ones out on the road showing them to the mainstream fans. So yeah. he was the one that showed Talib Kweli to the 14-year-old white kid. It wasn't Jay-Z, but Talib Kweli was the only guy that would take him on the road when people only thought of him as just a producer. So it was this cool full-circle moment, and then he does this song called Homecoming, and he does it as an ode to his city of Chicago, and he starts off uh, using a line that Common used in a song that I've turned into a comedy bit called I Used to Love Her, and he says, I met this girl when I was three years old. And he talks about Chicago like it's a woman he fell in love with. And then he kind of does the same thing on the second part and talks about how he he feels kind of bad and disconnected because he loves the city so much. And he talks about loving the city so much, but also he left and kind of had to leave in order to put himself on the map there he is. and how he deals with that. And at the end, he turns it all like he he wraps it all up to explain that he's talking about his city. But it is it is one of those like, God damn it. He said something right there. Um, so that's the song, that's in, a, the song. In, a, in a much too long winded <laughs> manner. No, but that's the reason explain. why it's the song. That's why right? it's the song. Like it wouldn't it's not gonna be, you know, mace. <laughs> yep. He says he says everything I've ever wanted to say to my town after doing all the things I haven't done but wish I could do on behalf of my But that's the dream. Yeah. That's <clears throat> that's you know, like everybody has that I don't know. I mean, for me, it's home. I, for you, it's home. I'm sure everybody has had some version of whatever they feel coming home and actually making it is like. I'm not going to be able to edit this at all because I don't want to fucking hear it again. I'm going to cut it. <laughs> oh, cut b- it. B- before we cut Before we cut out external gratification, what someone or some people said to you that made you feel like you were on something? For me, I was on a, on a show pretty early on when I started... Uh, I would. I don't want to say too early. Maybe two years. I was on a show in Madera, California, called the Mad Mad Town Comedy Jam or something. Okay. 
I was the only person that nobody knew. Um, I was the only person that wasn't on any of the flyers. Um, and that's what I mean by nobody knew. Like, I don't think anybody probably knew unless you were a real comedy nerd who any of these people were. And I was scared because, you know, we have these LA comics coming up and I've checked out their YouTube and they're funny and they've done all this and that. And they've been at the, you know, and we know what it means now. Right. But it meant everything, but it meant everything to me. Like this guy was on some Fox TV show and this guy was on this and like, it, it, but in that moment, like that seems too large for me. Yes, that you know, I'm lucky to even be booked on a show, let like alone, a, you know, you feel like a fraud walking. Exactly, in. and the whole the whole time I'm thinking, like, what are these people going to think of me? Right. I'm going to go up first, and obviously, because I'm the only person not on the flyer, nobody came here to watch me, and what am I going to get from this? Right. I'm either, it's either going to crash and burn and I'm not going to do well, or maybe I'm lucky and my eight minutes go decent and I'm drowned out by everybody else. Who's just acts absolutely gangbusters behind me. So, you know, best case people are going to forget me. Um, and the, the comics who came up was a comic named Toby Hicks and a comic named Aurelio Bocanegra. Wow. It's quite the name, yeah, and it's even longer than that. I'm I think. proud of I'm proud of you for how <laughs> I know, Spanish exactly, you yeah. said that. I order mole uh, too sometimes. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the back, and I'm looking at my notes. And at the time, the only thing I can think about is where can I hide my notes yeah. that I can be on stage and I could see them. And Aurelio comes and he's like, hey, what are you doing, man? And I'm like, uh, just going through my notes. Nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Oh, are you a comic? Or he, he came up and you know asked me if I was a comic. And I'm looking through my notes. And he was doing 30 minutes that night. And I remember looking at him and being like, how do you do 30 minutes? Like, how do you remember what, you know, yeah. all your jokes? And he's like, hey, man, just put your notes down. Yeah. He's like, at some point you'll get there. He's like, just get through these eight minutes, and uh, I'm gonna watch. And he 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 offered to watch me. And you know how, oh, you know, being being somebody new, nobody wants to watch you, no. right? The LA comics don't. Nobody wants to watch you. No. And so he's like, hey man, he's like, um, I'll, I'll check you out. I'll give you some feedback. What a and good I was guy. like, okay, cool, man. And I go up. I do my eight minutes and I do well and I come off and he's like, he's like, that was really good. He's like, there's a couple of things you should probably change or like, you know, I think I was cussing too much or something, yep. but he's like, that was really good. Yeah. And I was like, cool, man. Thanks. And didn't really think anything of it. Right. And through conversation, I told him I was from Bakersfield and he actually got booked on a show in Bakersfield and he reached out to me. And this was probably two years later. He reached out to me and he's like, hey, are you living in Bakersfield? And I was like, yeah. He's like, come out. I'm booked. Wow. Uh, come out. You can feature for me. He's like, do you have 20 minutes yet? And I was like, I have 20 minutes. And he's like, I told you you'd get there. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He's like, come dude. out, man. He's like, I'll, he's like, we can have a drink, hang out for a little bit. And I was like, All right, cool. For one, it's like this dude remembered me. Yeah. And he wants me to come feature. He remembered our discussion, right? And I come out and I'm featuring for him. And Aurelio's like one of those dudes who he's kind of everywhere. Like if you just, 
he's he's done every major thing and he's been on he's kind of typecast to like this latin comic but he's a good guy and he's a good comic and I, so i go up and i feature for the guy and <laughs> that night he's like hey he's like what are you doing next month on this particular day oh, shit. and uh i was like nothing that i know of man he's like i want you to come down i want to put you on my show at the brea improv a show called the good the bad and the the good the bad and the funny and i was like hey man i was like i was like man thank you i appreciate it i was like yeah i'm there and he's like if you can get there man he's like i got a spot for you and he's like it's a 10 minute spot he's like it's yours if you want it i didn't have a show to book him on right like I I didn't have anything to offer him because who you know like normally it's like bookbacks yeah. you book them they book you kind of a thing such a rare good yeah such a gesture. rare thing to actually have somebody go out of their way to actually try to put you in a better situation right and I was like look like automatically man I'm like jumping to the negative I'm like hey man I was like I don't know anybody in the Inland Empire I was like I can't bring any and he's like. He's like, I'm not asking you to bring anybody. He's like, you just bring your set and that's it. And I'm like, oh, like, thanks, man. And so, like, I show up that night. I do the Brea improv with them. And every comic brought somebody, right? Like, you could tell who was on for, because they, you know, there was, there's political moves in the, in the, in the set, in the lineup for sure. And I went up and I did really well at Brea. And I remember him calling me over and he's like, look, man, he's like, I don't know what you're doing in Bakersfield. He's like, but the, this is where you need to be. He's like, you need to be in front of these people every single night. He's like, cause you got it. Wow. He's like, he's like, there, it's rare that you actually run into somebody that's actually saying nice things about you. And somebody whose comedy is so vastly different from mine, who in terms of what we do, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. But for him, from that vantage point, to one, take a liking to me to actually have me come out to his show at the Brea Improv, which millions of comics would die to even jump on the show. Yeah. But get on there because I was funny and get on there and actually get positive feedback and have him tell me, like, this is what you're meant to do. Yeah. Like this. He's like, I don't know what you're doing in your life, man. He's like, but this needs to be it. Wow. And that's how i felt it's probably you know i just felt validated like this dude has no this guy's trying to make it himself he could have used the spot for a favor yeah which most people do and for all i know the rest of the spots on this show were for a favor but like to really book somebody um at a core like you book a show and you run a good show and you run a show that you don't expect bookbacks from that you put people on who you think are funny and you do, you make sacrifices for the sake of the show to have a, somebody in Los Angeles actually working that way, at least to some degree. Right. It's unheard of. And to actually book me for no reason at all, just other than they liked my comedy. And I did the show probably two more times and every single time it was, didn't have to bring anybody. If you can make it, you have a spot. Wow. And because of that, like he, he definitely uh, kept me going for a while because yeah. at the time, like there was nobody doing comedy here. Like everything was broken. There was no anywhere to get up. Right. Um, so, I mean, he was giving me spots in my own town 
you know like he called me like hey i'm booked here do you want to come feature for me and it's like (laughs) you're booking me in my own town like not asking for anything in return and still to this day has never had his hand out and asked about getting booked nothing he's never asked about a tumblr show because i will share those like has never asked about rocket shop like nothing like just simply somebody who looked at you and said that person's a good comic i'm gonna put him on something and then to say more people need to hear you hell yeah made me feel like okay i i I can potentially do something right so that's awesome yeah so i think that's the the external like what a good guy yeah he's a good guy man he's you know that's so unheard of doing that we should get him up here for something the now, only that, now time, that we can. The only time that, that that's ever happened. And yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, comedy's a world where it's, yeah. you know, other than like yourself and some of the local comics, like who can you actually call your friend? You yeah. know, like genuinely like right. not only is friendly to you, right. but, but being ever works in your best interest, right. even if it's not in their best interest. Yeah. So, and- those shows came and went, man. He probably never thought about him again, and he's still grinding every day, but he doesn't know what he did for me, which yeah. is get me to year 10, yeah. you know? Like, have somebody say something positive so that I can keep dreaming about coming home to Skylar Gray. And, yeah, <laughs> and, it'll, and, it, and you almost don't want to You almost don't want to tell him because you don't want to make it... You, you don't, you don't want to make not, it a thing. It's not going to come out right, and, and you don't want to make it put that on him and you never you never want to be the guy that slips into somebody's direct messages to get a spot yep. or does book backs or runs let's that i mean it's right. probably why i'm not booked on more stuff but it's like i when i ran a show i booked on who was funny yep um if they ran something and they booked like if that's just happenstance that's fine but i never booked with the purpose of doing anything than putting on a good show right I, it's just never been in my nature to make it any other way than just working hard and being a good comic yeah so we're we're two hours 10 this was it's a long we, one we did we got into some shit night <laughs> so there's the answer we record at night like 45 minutes of it is Michael Jackson. So I hope you <laughs> enjoy this podcast that you will never hear because I'm shelving this and never playing it. <laughs> Let the rain wash away all the pain of yesterday. I know my kingdom awaits and they've forgiven my mistakes. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Tell the world I I met this girl when I was three years old And what I love most, she had so much soul She said, excuse me, little homie, I know you don't know me But my name is Wendy and I like to blow trees And from that point, I never blow her off Niggas come from out of town, I like to show her off They like to act tough, she like to tone them off And make them straighten up their hat, cause she know they soft And when I grew up, she showed me how to go downtown And at nighttime, my face lit up, so astounding I told her and my heart is where she always be 
She never messed with entertainers cause they always leave She said it felt like they walked and drove on me Knew I was gang affiliated, got on TV and told on me I guess that's why last winter she got so cold on me She said, yeah, keep making that, keep making that platinum and gold for me think about me now and then Maybe we could start again But if you really cared for Then you wouldn't have never hit the airport To follow your dreams Sometimes I still talk to her But when I talk to her It always seems like she talking about me She said you left your kids And they just like you They wanna rap and make soul beats Just like you But they just not you And I just got through Talking about what niggas trying to do Just not new Now everybody got the game figured out all wrong I guess you never know what you got till it's gone I guess it's why I'm here and I can't come back home And guess when I heard that When I was back home Every interview I'm representing you Making you proud Reach for the stars So if you fall you land on the cloud Jump in the crowd Talking lighters wave them around If you don't know I'm by now Talking about shot town Do you think about me now and then? Do you think about me now and